Hey everybody, today is Wednesday, July 4th, and I'm Josh Boykin, the founder of Intelligame.us. You're listening to another edition of Intelligame Radio. Hey folks, welcome back to Intelligame Radio. It is July 4th here in America. It's actually July 4th everywhere. So I hope if you are celebrating Independence Day here in America that you are able to spend time with family, friends, loved ones. Today I am excited to share an interview with you that I conducted at Games for Change this past weekend. Dr. Kelly Dunlap gave a talk at Games for Change about perceptions of mental health and the way that those are conveyed in games. It was a really fantastic talk, and I was able to flag her down afterwards to just kind of chat for a few minutes. I think you'll really appreciate her perspectives. I'm definitely looking forward to her being able to be part of our longer form Intelligame podcast at some point. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy today, and I hope you enjoy this interview. If you've got any feedback, shoot it over to us at podcast.intelligame.us, or of course you can shoot us an email, and all of Kelly's contact information will be in the show notes, so you should definitely look her up, drop her a follow, and all of those things. Also, just a quick word of caution, unfortunately the audio quality in this recording isn't super great. I hope you'll still be able to focus on the content and enjoy Kelly's discussion though. As always, thanks for being part of the community, and we'll catch up with you soon. Do you, do you prefer Dr. Dr. Dunlap? Kelly. Kelly. Okay. Kelly. <laughs> so like, I know you worked for those credentials. So. It, it depends. <laughs> like if I'm talking with someone, like, you know, it's fine, it's Kelly. But, you know, when it's at the TSA agent, miss, I'm like, oh, no, no. <laughs> it's Dr. Dunlap. Thank you very much. But no, no, for you, Kelly. Yeah, it's good. okay. Fantastic. <laughs> um, and so, uh, Kelly, first off, I, I want to say thanks for giving the talk that you did at Games for Change today. Um, I think there were a lot of ways that people learned and were able to grow from having these uh, these opportunities to tie the gaming that they do every day with um, issues of mental health and mental health awareness. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you got started having these kinds of discussions? What tied you into this field? Sure. Uh, I guess going back to the very beginning, I have played video games my entire life. Like I, I cannot remember a time when, when I was not playing. Uh, when I went to college, I studied psychology, and for my um, my capstone or, or whatever, I thought it'd be really great if I could get my university to buy me video games. <laughs> and so I designed a study where they bought me video games, and it worked. But it was also driven by, at, at the time, this was back in uh, the late 20 aught, so like 2008 or so, so much of the research around games in the, in the mental health space was games make you violent, games are addictive, like games are this really bad thing. And that just had been antithetical to every experience that I'd ever had mm-hmm. in gaming. So, like, I mean, my brother and I played games when I was little uh, in the dorms. Like, we had LAN tournaments, and it, it brought this huge group of people together around. And it was Halo. So it's not like it was in a peaceful game. It was an right. animated shooter. And so I started down that path. And then, uh, as anybody in psychology knows, you can't actually do anything with a degree in psychology except <laughs> go to grad school. That's a degree in grad school. Yep. So then I, I went to grad school and I continued this thread of research around games and mental health because, again, I, I wasn't seeing that reflected in the research. And then I did my dissertation on the, uh, the mediation between video games and mental health. 
and basically found like it doesn't matter what you play, it doesn't matter how long you play, what matters is why you play. Mm-hmm. Like that's where I started to see parallels between gameplay and mental health outcomes, which at the time was like there was nothing out there about that. And unfortunately, because of the field I was in, nobody was particularly interested in, in like, promoting that or editing it. And so my dissertation was never published. And then, so once I finished that and I, I felt so unsupported by my own, like this, this community that I put my entire life into, the psychology community, that I, three months after I finished my doctorate, I went into a master's program Wow. for game design, <laughs> like you do, you know? And so I, I, the thinking was, if I want to study games, my biggest complaint as a clinician was that the people running these studies have obviously never played a game. Sure. If you think you can compare a racing game to a shooter, like that's not, you can't, it's apples and oranges, they're completely different. And, and, or third person versus first person, or 2D versus 3D, and it, it was just so haphazard, and the, the, the methodology was just so wrong. And I was thinking, well, if I, if I want to make that kind of critique, I better get my chops, you know, I better sure. see the, the world of games from the other side as well. And so I went and did a two-year master's program in game design, and every game I made had to do with psychology in, in some way, whether it was stress or therapy or just something, like putting my professional spin on games. And then, you know, doing the research around, you know, what, what games actually do in terms of mental health. And around that same time, you started getting a lot more research out there, like uh, Reality Was Broken by Jay McGonigal came out. Tons of research, like Adachi and Willoughby, their study came out on terms of it's not uh, violent games, it's competition that sparks that kind of thing. And so uh, the research started to kind of change and the conversation started to change and it continues to do so. And so I really just kind of lucked out and tripped into where I am now. But that's kind of the, the origin story is just the research just was not... It was just so antithetical to my experience. I'm like, this can't be right. Yeah. And so I scienced. I did a lot <laughs> of science. And, you know, it's, it's really cool to see the things that I found in my dissertation, like, come out in other studies, um, which is really validating. And so I, I, here I am. Sure. So you currently work with an organization that does design, also some consulting. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit more about, I, I guess, sort of that, that scope of work? Sure. So I work for a company called iThrive Games Foundation. We are a nonprofit. Our target is to help teenagers particularly kind of thrive through gameplay. So we believe that games can give these meaningful experiences that are conducive to growth as a human being, especially in that really sensitive age where you're transitioning from childhood to adulthood. Um, the vast majority of mental health issues appear during the adolescent years. It's one of the most socially challenging. It's one of the most emotionally challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by creating, either creating games ourselves or helping other developers to create games that either promote positive aspects, whether it's empathy or kindness or curiosity or collaboration and cooperation, and baking that into games can help teens and hopefully the broader world too have better experiences as they transition into adulthood. And so we have games that we have made in-house. We also work extensively with developers in the indie and AAA space, Mm -hmm. whether it's something like designing for empathy. So in that case, you know, as a mental health person, I'm telling you, this is what empathy is. It is, it is not, you know, walking a mile in someone else's shoes. You know, there's cognitive empathy and there's emotional empathy and empathy is different from compassion. 
And so when you're designing, like, here's a mechanic that can be used to help with empathy, and this is a mechanic that can be used to help with curiosity, and kind of breaking it down so that game developers don't have to be psychologists to make psychologically healthy games. And similarly, mental health professionals and educators don't have to be game designers to create games that don't suck, <laughs> as they currently do. So Yeah, it can be hard to find a, a mix of either of those, really. But it's part of what makes Games for Change interesting. This, this is my first time uh, on the show floor, um, and I've been really impressed by some of the, the ways that I have found compelling, interesting gameplay as a gamer mm-hmm. around topics like pediatric cancer or the Holocaust, like ways that I'm used to these games, I guess, being boring or feeling educational. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with Games for Change? Because this isn't your first time here. No, this is my... Or your first time speaking. My third time here, my second time speaking. So the first time I came, I was just an observer, like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and just, oh, look at all these people. (laughs) And now I'm a grizzled veteran, uh, jaded and whatnot. So one of the things I love about Games for Change is that we have a common thread of we think games are important, but that's about it. People are from such different backgrounds. Uh, Earlier today, I met someone who's working on a neuroscience game, but her background is in physics. Wow. And I'm like, where do you come from? It's it's, it's a conference of unicorns. Mm -hmm. Like that that idea that you can have people who have such um, amazingly diverse backgrounds across every kind of diversity uh, multiplier that there might be sure. and they're all brought together by this belief in the power of games and I think that's really powerful and so being able to speak here you know at, at the same conference as some of the people who you know I've studied their work and I've read their papers and they've had such a big impact on my life is it's just really cool that it's a space where they're so accepting and and they let someone like me <laughs> come in <laughs> and speak and that people are just so chill about it. Like you can talk to anybody. It doesn't matter if they were on the main stage, if they were on the small stage. It's just a, a really open community where you can connect and, and make those kinds of just personal as well as academic and professional connections that it just wouldn't be possible um, without this place to come to. Sure. You self-qualified with the like people like me, but like your talk <laughs> was quite in-depth and well-researched. Thank you. And I thought there were even a number of things that you called attention to that I didn't put in that in that frame of reference. And particularly, um, I'm thinking about the graph that you had pretty early on that was showing the number of the number of ways that the public are exposed to concepts of mental health or mental illness mm-hmm. um, as a result of like mass media and newspaper headlines. Uh, can you talk a little bit about particularly why you decided to kick off the talk with that? So I wanted to give a background about mental health in the U.S., mostly because I have found that people don't really know. Mental health is not something that we talk about in this country, or in most countries, actually. And it's just it's so taboo that most people couldn't even tell you that one in five American adults have a diagnosable mental illness or how expensive mental health care is. And so kind of laying that foundation for me was important because I always like to tie it back to if we're trying to change an industry, whether it's the indies, whether it's the triple A's, whether it's people doing treatment games, there needs to be a reason why. And so by, by bringing up the fact that mental health is usually portrayed in a very negative way, it is actually very similar to games in that fashion. And we both have that stigma of Violence, like right. that's a unifier between all of them. And so, if I'm arguing we need to take mental health representations in games more seriously, which I, I do think that we need to do, we need to understand why. It's not just 
a small, silent minority of people. We're talking about 44 million Americans, and I don't know the global statistics, but you know, like trillions and trillions of dollars globally dealing with issues that people are too afraid to talk about. And so bringing it to the forefront, like, you are not alone. Right. Looking in this room, there was what? You know, if there were 100 people in the room, one in five of them probably have a diagnosable mental illness. Yep. You know, and it just... So uh, that, that's one hand, like education. And the second part is for people who tend to come to talks about mental health, usually have some kind of very personal connection to it. Either they themselves have a mental illness, have been treated for one, or have a family member or a friend who has dealt with mental illness. And so I feel like giving voice to that is really important and empowers people that you can talk about your experiences and it's not taboo. And, you know, when we look at a game where they're using straight jackets and using terms like crazy and nut job, like, yes, that is invalidating. And yeah. the, the laugh I always get, I, I always ask, have you ever woken up in an insane asylum in a game or a psychiatric institute and had something positive happen? Yeah. And no, I think one person has maybe raised their hand once and, and mentioned some obscure Japanese game I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like these tropes are just, they're so out there. We never think about them, but they have that impact. Like that shame that people often have about talking about mental illness. It's, it continues because we have these tropes that just are accepted right. as this is normal. It's totally okay to call someone crazy or a nut job or assume that you're mass murderer in your game is just crazy and that's the excuse and so i really wanted to challenge that assumption and part of that challenge is humanizing the fact that so many people struggle with this sure and that's something that we've talked about on on the site kind of in the community about the importance of deconstructing tropes because people lean on them so heavily as shortcuts to Mm -hmm. insert thing here and it dehumanizes the the people and the characters who those are meant to represent so I think particularly approaching it from an angle of mental health where, you know, it's not a field or a, a discussion that is commonly brought up a lot is really important. I'm glad you're doing that. Can you talk a bit about a few of the games that you thought were pretty particularly interesting? There was, I mean, you did call particularly Hellblade as sort of the, yeah. the, uh, the gold standard right now. <laughs> I thoroughly love Hellblade, both as a mental health professional and as a player. They just, they took so much time and care to make the representation authentic and genuine and reflective of lived experience. And I just, I have so much respect for that because it could have so easily not been that. It would have been so much easier if they had just made a game about their perception of what psychosis is. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they brought in professionals, they brought in auditory specialists, they brought in you know people who have the lived experience, it, it just really shows how much they cared about the issue. And even more, it made the game better. You know, when they, they talk about you know some of the feedback they got from voice hearers and people who have experienced psychosis, and you see that translated into the game, a lot of it is like some of the most critical parts of the game. It's some of the most interesting and engaging parts of the game. And it came from people who have had that experience. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, one, Ninja Theory is the studio that, that made Hellblade. Sure. And it is a studio, and they have those kinds of resources. And so I'm not saying that you can't make a game like that without being a huge studio. Which I kind of pointed out with when I was talking about Stay. Mm-hmm. Which is totally unfair, because that is just two guys, and they're doing their best. And I, I hope that came across. Yeah. But like the idea that you, you've got to go to the community. Like if you want to make a game, if you were to make a game about 
McDonald's, you probably would go to McDonald's. <laughs> you know, if you were going to make a game about the Civil War, you would probably do your research about right. the Civil War. And so if you want to make a game about mental health, you should like go to the source material, so to speak. And the, that young woman who had a great question about, you know, what if you want to make a game? What if you do have a mental illness? And you want to make a game about it? Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you clarified that because I'm not saying that you can't make a game about your own experiences because you absolutely can. Sure. And if it's going to be helpful and for you, then do it. Like you don't need to ask anybody else. Do your own experience. But if you're trying to represent a population or a group of people, then you definitely need to check in with them. And we, we do it all the time with other things, but for some reason we don't think about doing it when it comes to mental health. Yeah. So much so much good stuff. I very much would like to have you on the on the long form podcast. Yes. I think there are plenty of things we could talk about. <laughs> Sign me up. So we're we're here at Games for Change and we, we just talked about one of your favorite games. I'm wondering, is there a game that you would recommend folks keep an eye out for? Whether just at whether it has something to do with mental health and advocacy or just a game that you're particularly excited about? Oh man, it's like picking a favorite child. <laughs> I mean, if you haven't played Hellblade, I would recommend it. Or at least watch the documentary sure. that they made about it so that you can get a sense of like how much effort went into that game. It's truly remarkable. I think I mentioned Town of Light in the, the panel as well as a game that like it tackles mental health's really traumatic history of how we used to treat people with mental illness by locking them up in insane asylums. And it is a horror game and it like goes against every trope I said to avoid, but they do it in a way that is authentic and respectful and based on like actual materials. So I would say if, if horror games are your jam, that might be, that might be a good one. And Elude, it's, it's a small game and it's a couple years old now, but it's still one of my favorite examples of like a bite-sized game that conveys the really powerful emotions uh, inherent in depression. So you, you feel the ups, you feel the downs, and it's not a treatment game, it's very abstract in that sense, but you walk away with feeling like you have a better understanding of what it might be like to, to struggle with something like depression. And in no way am I saying that this will, you know, will make you depressed right. or that it's, you will then understand what it is like to, to <laughs> deal with, with major depressive disorder. But it's like it's a window into that experience done in a way that is really beautiful. And I, I would recommend it. It's a really great example of just a short game that just conveys that experience. There's no text. There's no words. It's all just visceral experience. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, Kelly, thank you so much for hanging out with us uh, on the on uh, Intelligame Radio for a bit. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Let folks know where to find you or where to find your work if they're looking for you. Sure. So uh, I am very active on Twitter. That's the best place to reach me. My handle is at Kelly, which is K-E-L-L-I. So no Y's here. K-E-L-L-I-N <laughs> Dunlap. So my first name, Kelly, my middle initial N, my last name, Dunlap, okay. which I'm sure will be in the show notes. Yes. My website is uh, dunlapside.com. So my last name with my degree as I, and as I, I have done interviews, I've realized it's a terrible website name <laughs> because um, nobody like nobody thinks of spelling Psyde out. So yeah, it's D-U-N-L-A-P-P-S-Y-D. And that's where my games are, my research, um, everything that I do, I, I try to put up on there. And yeah, feel free to, to reach out. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for your time, Kelly. This has been awesome. Thank you. All right, folks, that does it for another edition of Intelligame Radio. I've been your host, Josh Boykin, and you can find me on Twitter or Facebook at Wallstormer. As always, you can find more Intelligame content by swinging over to the homepage, intelligame.us, 
or you can look us up on social media at Let's Intelligame. Special thanks again goes out to Kelly Dunlap for doing an interview with us, and keep an eye out for more content coming from Games for Change, as well as Practice and the upcoming Game Devs of Color Expo here for Intelligame. We'll see you on Friday, folks. Until then, keep Intelligaming. Thank <laughs> you.